another day, another dollar makes you wonder where your money went. You can scream and you can holler. Hi folks, this is Jack Spierka with another edition of the Survival Podcast. Today is Wednesday, 20, February 25th, and as always, the Survival Podcast is one man's opinion of the changing world and the changing times and the things we can all do to live a better life. Uh, dictated is, is, you know, most always the case anyway. It's a 97% of the time during my 50-mile commute between Arlington and Frisco, Texas. Now, I did a show yesterday. Uh, and if you heard that show yesterday, you'll know that by the end of that show, my voice was absolutely 100% totally shot. Um, the good news is that I actually recorded that show on Monday. So yesterday, I did not do a show. Yesterday, I let my voice rest. And despite having uh, some coughing and stuff in the middle of the night, my throat being a little scratchy, it is much, much better. that said, I do need to uh, write it back in. I can't do any kind of inflammatory, angry topic today because I'll push my voice right back to where it was. That's not good for me. It's not good for the show. It's not good for you, the audience. So in spite of the fact that President Obama gave me lots of things to be angry about last night during his State of the Union address, and the one stab I'm going to take at this guy is, will somebody please phone this fool up and say, President Obama. And when he goes, yes, go, President Obama. And when he goes, yes, go, President Obama. And when he goes, what? Or the Russians launching nukes? What? What? No, I just wondered if you knew that you were president. Because I'm really tired of campaign speeches. The, the man won. And I think it's because he spent his entire political career thinking about the next level. Never really did the job anywhere along the line as a governor. All he was doing was looking, how can I get elected into the next higher office? And due to that fact, I think the guy has been a perpetual campaigner for you know 12 years now and old habits die hard. So please somebody tell this guy to stop campaigning and please tell him to stop lying to us about the money that's being wasted. But we're not going to go there today because I'm already getting irritated and agitated about some of the words that came out of this guy's mouth last night. And I'm going to leave it to you because if you're a Kool-Aid drinker for Obama, you're a Kool-Aid drinker for Obama. And I don't feel like trying to change your attitude or your mind about it today. And that's okay. We can have differing political views here because this show is more about how you live your own individual life than what the idiots in our government do. That said, I've been talking about an individual declaration of independence and I have figured out the way to do this. And it was so simple that I can't believe it took me this long to figure it out. But I'm not going to tell you what it is today. I'm going to announce it on Friday's show. So tune in on Friday to hear about the act of individual secession from the systems and its declaration of individual independence and how you can participate in that. Today what we're going to talk about is something that's much more of a practical survival topic. And that is when you have to bug out. And this could mean to a bug out location that you have well stocked and you're going to be comfortable, or this could mean you can't go that way either and it's simply you got to get the hell out. And the things that you need to have in place and the plans that you need to have in place so that you can do that 
and this is going to be most applicable to anybody with more than one person in their family unit. If you're single, um, a lot of this is going to help you, but some of the things I'm going to say are really designed to help families deal with being split up when the decision has been made, we got to go, and how to get back together and do it in a very organized way and how to keep each other calm, and usually it's one spouse keeping the other person calm, and somebody being in control and somebody having a plan is very important to that. Now, a lot of topics that I do, I say, I think it's a good idea for you to do this. I really think you should do this, what have you. I seldom say, you better do this. But I'm going to tell, I'm not going to say you better do this, but what I am going to say is you really need to do this. This is important. And there's an entire advertising campaign from our own government going around right now where it's simply asking family members if there was a natural disaster or a fire or whatever, where would you meet? And they ask members of the same family, and they all say different places. Oh, we would go to the school. We would go to, you know, the neighbor's house. We would go to whatever. And, and no one's in sync, and no one really has a plan. And even knowing where to go is just the beginning of a plan. So what I'm going to outline for you today is a very well-thought-out process. And the way I came up with this process, and I've never actually heard this process laid out this way anywhere else ever. So I think I am the creator of this process. If somebody else has done it, then they came up with it as an original idea themselves. I didn't get this from any book, any manual. What I did is I looked at all the information that was out there in the survivalist community about bugging out and the things that had happened. I looked at past disasters that had occurred and looked at how people had ended up splitting up. I looked at the common scenario where people panic because they don't know what to do. And on top of all that, I took my U.S. Army military training and said, how does this apply? And how do I civilianize military procedure to a point where civilians will do it, will tolerate it? Because the, the whole concept of creating like pseudo-military uh, units in, uh, in survivalism is fine for the people that will accept it, but a lot of people will just never really fall into the military way of thinking, especially people who have never served either in a military organization or some sort of paramilitary uh, organization such as uh, law enforcement or even scouting, I think, helps people to accept the order. And uh, so how did I, to- you know, how can I tone it down so that Joe Average and Jane Average and their two kids, Bobby and Sue Average, who have uh, never served in the military could follow this procedure and not feel like it's becoming so cumbersome. So that's where this all came from, and uh, I'm going to now lay that out for you. The very first thing that you really need to do is come up with a procedure for initiation. How would the decision to get the hell out be initiated? And who would have the authority to initiate the uh, the leaving, the, the, the time to go, the bug out. And, and generally speaking, that decision to me, if you're in a married household, should go between both partners. If either one really says it's time 
we need to go, then you probably should do it. There's a survival instinct inherent in all people. And in some instances, women are more in touch with it than men because they have more of that maternal child protective instinct in them. I don't know a man out there that's a real man that wouldn't rip a guy in half or try to hurt his kid. But if you really want to see something vicious, try to hurt a woman's kid in front of her. And it's not just, you know, a guy will take out a guy that he's capable of. A woman will take out two men she's not capable of to protect her child. And there's something in that that sometimes guys may think that they're the ones that are going to be more of the tactical, etc. But it might be the female in the relationship that really goes, yeah, and even though I haven't been on board with you, this feels like it's time to get out. And as long as you're logical about it, as long as you have a preset procedure, I think either side should be able to initiate that. That doesn't mean it's not discussed, but if it's discussed for anything more than a few minutes and both sides still, you know, one side still feels we got to do this, you know what? The worst thing that happens is you spend a day or two away from home, you wait it out, and you come back. All right, so let's make sure that both sides have the uh, the power to at least initiate the analysis, do we go or do we not go? And once it's initiated, how is that carried out? Now, you might say, well, gee, we're all sitting at the house, and uh, it's time to leave, so we all initiate our plan and we go. But what if Bobby's at school? Susie's at soccer practice, mom's finishing up work at the office, and dad's on a 25-mile commute home from his office. Now what? And it could be any of those locations, right? Do any of the children drive? Do they have vehicles? Would you take all the vehicles? These are the, the things you need to begin to think about. But how do you initiate it if everybody's at home is the easy one. How do you initiate it if everybody is gone? And, and that really comes down to se- section two on this plan, means of communication. And what means of communication will you have available that you can rely on, that you can depend on? And most people's means of communication today is a cell phone. And I think that's a great thing, and I think in many situations, even very dire situations, you'll still be able to communicate by cell phone. And as we talked about last week, many times when you can't communicate by cell phone verbally, you can still do it by text messaging. So having things that are short in your plan, like evacuation plan A, rally point B, might be a really good idea as we go through the rest of the list so that in texting situations, especially when people are panicking, that that's available. I think something I'm really going to look into, I've been, a lot of you guys have been on me to become a ham, and I think that's something I'll do someday. I think with all the things that I got going on, that's really not something I have the time to do today, but I am thinking about equipping our vehicles with uh, citizen band radios or CBs. And I think in a situation where your cell phones don't work, those are a good idea. I think another good idea may be to go out and buy some of the prepaid cell phones and put 250, 500 minutes of prepaid minutes on them 
Lock them up in a club bag, uh, glove box or your 72-hour kit, your bug-out bag, your trunk, somewhere, fully charged with an additional charger. Now, you might say, why would you do that? If your cell phone doesn't work, why do you think this other phone would work? Well, the first thing I'm going to tell you is you buy a, a temporary cell phone or an emergency cell phone from a different network. So if you're on AT&T, you go with uh, T-Mobile's secondary network. If you're on Verizon, you go with AT&T's. If you're on a, you know, uh, T-Mobile's, go with Verizon. Whatever, you know, Virgin Mobile. Look, at, but make sure if you're using like a smaller provider that it's not actually piggybacked onto your same provider. Find out who their backbone network is. So one network may be in extreme disarray and you still may be able to sneak a call through on the other network. So part of your procedure with comms may be if cell phone A fails at a time that communication is necessary, everybody accesses, plugs in, turns on their backup phones and tries those. Again, CVs I think are a great idea for you guys that are hams. You have uh, a means of communication. Many people don't, but a lot of you guys, your, your uh, radio communications are fixed. So, uh, And I don't know that much about ham radio, so you may know something I don't. Let's just leave it at the fact that you need to document and plan out what all your means of communication are and your order of priority in using them and when people should initiate secondary lines of communication. You should also have, as part of your comm planning, on paper, printed out in your vehicle, every vehicle and one in the home, and this is going to be just the first thing that goes in there. One is those initiation procedures. Two, communication procedures. Three, phone numbers for everybody you could possibly want to call. Every means of communication they have. Landlines to their home, cell phones. If people, Some people still carry pagers, believe it or not. Uh, every way. And email addresses. Because, again, it may be that your mobile device is capable of email or text, but not voice communications. That's part of your comp plan so that you can get in touch with everybody on your list. And this includes people that maybe would not be part of your bug-out planning uh, as a primary. Uh, friends, loved ones, you know, maybe somebody from your church, if you're a member of a church, especially whoever, like the coordinator uh, that helps the pastor out with coordinating uh, events and things like that, because your church may become part of your emergency planning. So anybody and everybody you can think of goes in your list of communications contacts. That's part of your comms. All right, the next part seems obvious, but it's often overlooked. Where do you go? All right, and this is the where people let it fall. Well, we go to our bug out location, in my instance, let's say, up north of Hot Springs, Arkansas. What if that's not an option? What if whatever has happened has blocked off my way to get there or is a threat to Dallas and the Hot Springs area at the same time and we need to go west or south or north? Now, the probability of that is rather low. They're far enough apart that if something's threatened both of them, we may have a bigger problem. And we're probably still better off in our remote location. We would probably still try to get there. But the probability does exist that it would not be where to go. Or the probability exists that we need to do a short-term, short-distance evacuation because something has happened such as tornadic activity has wiped out our house. Now we're bugging out to a sister-in-law's. All right. We're assessing the situation, what's left, making sure the police can come in and secure our valuables that are there. We're putting our valuables away. Hopefully we're making sure everybody's okay. We're taking people to the hospital. But we're not bugging out to Arkansas because our house got blown down by a tornado. 
Right? So you have to think about these things. There could be reasons that you have to leave. When I was a kid in Arkansas, not in Arkansas, in Florida, we lived near a uh, sewage treatment plant. And the sewage treatment plant one night had a massive chlorine leak, and I mean a massive chlorine leak, where they evacuated everybody that lived on one side of the plant. And it was because that was where the prevailing winds were going, and even though there was a massive leak, and chlorine is a poisonous gas, that anything after a certain distance was considered safe because it simply dissipated into the atmosphere, and its parts per million went low enough to not be a threat anymore. So police came to our house, firemen came to our house, and immediately rushed everybody out and said, drive to the end of the road, you can do whatever you want after that. So as soon as we got to the end of this road on the other side of where the prevailing winds were and past the roadblocks, there were people gathering everywhere. We just kind of went somewhere and had something to eat. But that situation could have lasted a lot longer. And you may say there's no sewage plants near me. But you don't, this is my point, you never know what the threat's going to be or how far it's going to make you go. So you need both short and long distance destinations. You need to have your primary point you would most like to be as long as it's safe to go there, your, your primary bug out location. But then you need to have secondary plants such as I can't go east, I've got to go west. So where would you go? Which town would be most you know, benef- you know, likely? Are, are you into a tent situation if you end up in that situation? You know, or is it going to be something you can find a hotel? Or you won't know until it happens. You may be in a situation where you have to evac a few hours at driving time, and once you get there, you'll be able to procure a hotel room. Don't bet on it, but that may be the situation, so you want to make sure you have cash and things like that. But you have to have multiple locations you would go to, at least two short-distance ones, and I would say at least three long-distance ones. Uh, and, and it could be family members, it could be, I'm going to, you know, this place and we're just going to sort it out because I don't have any other options if I can't get to these first two, but have them. The next thing you need to have is at least three primary routes to drive there. Because, for instance, let's say if there was a major disaster in Dallas, Texas, and we were fortunate enough that all three of us were home, or at least on the Fort Worth side of things, but it was dangerous to drive through Dallas, and it was dangerous enough that we decided we're getting the hell out of here. Well, I-30, which is our primary way that we would get to Arkansas, is not a good option anymore. So we have secondary routes north through Oklahoma, south of the southern part of Texas and over Louisiana, secondary routes to get around these areas. So you need to have those routes um, planned out. Now this is the big one. You don't just plan the routes. Use Google Maps and go in and print maps with your routes. And you should have them filed. You know, And it's not just where you're going as far as your bug out locations, but also plan rally points. So let's say that I was um, on the uh, on the east side of Dallas. My wife's on the west side of Dallas with our son, and uh, we decided we have to go. And it's not a good idea for me to make the trip back. So we have rally points. Let's say on the way to our bug out location. So you need to have maps and not just go to the bug out location, but map your rally points as well. And that way. The procedure of initiation can be as simple as, all right, honey, don't panic, don't worry. Grab the stuff that you're supposed to grab in this situation, the bags, whatever. Put them in the car, load up the kids. Open the book. We're going to be going to our primary place, destination A. 
Uh, this root doesn't look good, so you're going to take, you know, uh, root B. And we're going to meet at the first rally point that's available, which is rally point alpha. And it is, you know, here. And you see it on the map? Yeah, I see it on the Okay, I'm going to go there, and I'm going to wait for you there. All right, so you got to plan those rally points. And it's probably a good idea not to plan your rally points so much around things like rest areas or uh, major towns and cities. It's probably good to plan your rally points in areas that are exits off of your highway or your state highway or your state road that are not really near anything. Because the places like rest areas and stuff are going to become extremely congested if there's a mass evacuation. So you're probably better off somewhere else. This is a, a big reason that you need to have defensive weaponry capability. You might not have it, you know, I don't have a concealed weapons permit or whatever, but have some sort of defensive weapons capability, especially for women that are in this situation that might be taken advantage of. So plan for that as well. But you have to have maps. And, and what I want to point out again, there should be a book in every vehicle. There should be a book in your house. And all the books with all this documentation should be absolutely 100% uniform. That's a part of military procedures that I will not go away from to accommodate those that aren't militant in mindset. It has to be uniform so that if two of you are on the phone and one of you is panicking or both of you are panicking, or you're talking to a panicking you know, teenager that's old enough to drive and is able to come meet you at a rally point as well, that you could say, go to page 6, section 2. This is what you need to do right now. And they're looking at the exact same thing you are. And that's going to be a very calming thing that's going to get you guys to the same place. You need to have a procedure for what your arrival is at your rally points. And it's probably a different procedure for different rally points in different scenarios. So document them all and label them. You know, And I'm big on the A, B, C, D. Alpha, Bravo, Charlie, Delta, Echo, Foxtrot, Golf. I could keep going. All right? Um, but you can call them number one, you know, you can do whatever you want, but just make sure it's uniform across all your documentation and make sure that you have, okay, when you arrive here, and this is the big one, uh, we're supposed to meet at Rally Point Alpha, right, on um, Evacuation Route Bravo. Destination is our primary bug out location, so it's, it's Evacuation uh, Plan 1. Right now, my wife gets there and I'm not there. How and, and we can't communicate any further. We've lost communication. How long does she stay there and wait for me? If I don't show up after that point, what does she do? In most instances, for us, it would be you continue on and I will try to catch up with you. I will continue to try to communicate with you, but go to our bug out location. Right, We would prefer to link up at that point. But if something has held me back, it may be better for her to keep going. So you have to determine for yourself. And I, there's no hard rule. It can't be, well, it's, it's two hours. Well, where are you going? How far are you going? Um, what happened, right? So you have to look at it with different routes may have different rules. How far away was your partner? Is it something that you will plan on the fly? Um, assuming there's communication. So is it this route, if you take it, it's two hours. But if we talk, that might change. If it changes, note it with a pencil or a pen in your manual. 
that you've made that change for this. Just note it out in the column. So you make sure you have a pen or a pencil or both in every one of these books for writing things down as well. Uh, so you've got to have that procedure down. Uh, again, it's important that you have maps to everything, and I think you should make this as organized as possible. You know, plan one, destination one, routes A, B, C. With rally points marked on them. Use Google Maps again. Print them out. I'm becoming a huge fan of GPS. I would still not not have the maps, but I think having a GPS, if you get off course, will help you get back into there. It may be a very good idea for you to program into your GPS, if you have one, all your rally points. And that will give you flexibility because sometimes your plan will not survive contact with the enemy. In fact, most battle plans do not. So you may be taking evacuation route Bravo for evacuation plan Alpha. And you may get to a point where you can't go anymore. You have to go around. Having a GPS and maps together will help you get around. Uh, So make sure that documentation is solid. Make sure you also have multiple rally, uh, multiple routes planned to your rally points. Think that far ahead. Okay, we're going to Rally Point Alpha uh, to meet on this this evacuation route, and I can't get there. What would I do if I got, you know, where are my primary places that I could jump off and and get back on and have those documented as well? And come up with a convention, again, a numbering, naming convention that works for you. Just keep it consistent. All right, and putting a couple double O's in front of anything gives you a lot of flexibility with that. So you know, zero zero alpha, right? Because then you can have zero one, zero two, zero three, zero four, all the way up to ninety nine. I think it's way too complex for most civilian usage. So it'll cover you. It's far enough. You want to have been a your own little mini Y two K world there, uh, in just about a kind of uh, numeric sequence I could take to run on that. Um, you also need to have in there. Two lists that are what I call your grab and get lists, and uh, which means grab and get out. And you need a short list and a long list, and they are dependent on how much time you have. Now, obviously, most people would go, well, I'm going to grab my bug out bag, and I'm going to grab my wife's bug out bag. If she's away from the house and for some reason doesn't have it, I'm going to grab the kids. I'm going to grab whatever, right? But... If you have more time, if it's not we got five minutes to get out of here, if it's we, we okay, we have a two-hour departure window. This is a threat that we believe is credible but not yet imminent. We're just taking preemptive uh, time and we're saying this makes sense to get out of here. You know, let's say it's uh, pandemic flu starts to spread across the country, it hasn't really got to your area yet. It's starting to get closer. The government's starting to quarantine areas. You decide to move before you don't have the opportunity. Well, two hours is probably not going to be too much time to burn. In that situation, so you might have a longer list of additional things that you would pack in your vehicle because you have more time. These could be things like maybe if you store food in buckets, which is what I advise, five-gallon buckets, which ones in particular to grab, how many of each, because maybe you can't take everything that you store with you, so what would you take if you had two hours? What would you take if you had 15 minutes? Put those on lists. Put them in every documented folder. Every single one, again, uniform in the same, because you may be talking somebody through this on the other side of the line. This is particularly important for a subject uh, that we talked about in the past. Uh, Glenn Beck talked about this recently, and that's uninvolved spouses. So your spouse might be uninvolved, but with this documentation at a point where, okay, look, we got to get out of here, and she or he is freaked out now, 
you're in control, you put the plan together, now you can walk them through it. Or when 16-year-old Tammy gets home to the house, and mom and dad can't get home, and she's got to be the one not only to rely on herself, but you have to rely on her to get the extra provisions from the house and meet you, because you know you can't get back there. Maybe you're even backtracking to a rally point closer to pick her up. But she's got to get out of there. And by, again, having everything documented in uniform, you're going to keep the person on the other side of the line calm, cool, and collected and, and moving in the right direction. And I, I cannot overemphasize to you how calming it is in an emergency situation when somebody has a clear head on their shoulders and knows what's going on and they're able to say, this is what's going to happen, and then it does, even when that's bad. I'll give you a, a, an amazing example of this that just uh, you know happened completely by uh, coincidence, honestly, and how calming it really was. Early in the uh, year 2000, we were still living here in Texas before we made our three-year sabbatical to Pennsylvania. We lived about a mile away from where uh, we live now. And a tornadic storm came in. And this was a big storm. No matter where you live in the country, you may have, if you think back, you may remember this storm because the initial uh, tornadic cell hit downtown Fort Worth. And it hit a building called the Bank One building down there, and it blew every window out of it. And this was a big skyscraper. I don't remember how big it was, uh, if it was uh, 60 floors or something like that. What I do know is there was a restaurant in it that we used to love to go eat at called Riata. That was on the 19th floor. So it was a very large building. The pictures of the building, the Murrah Federal Building in the Oklahoma City bombing was still fresh in people's mind, and that's what people thought of when they saw this building. That's how devastating the storm was. Well, the cells split in two, and one went up through the Hearst-Dulles-Bedford area, and then another one came down our way in um, Arlington. And it absolutely devastated homes less than a quarter mile from my house. And uh, somehow didn't knock down the power lines in that neighborhood as it went there. And what this this tornado was doing, and this was a powerful uh, tornado, they said, at points along the route it was as high as an F3, which is, though it was a relatively small in diameter tornado, very, very powerful, very, very high winds. And because it was kind of, Touching down and picking up, touching down and picking up, it absolutely leveled some houses to nothingness. And then maybe the next house had pulled maybe a couple shingles off the roof. And then it would go two houses and it didn't even touch them. And then the next house was flat to the foundation. Miraculously, nobody died in this storm other than somebody that was actually hit with a piece of hail about the size of a softball that wasn't even where the uh, the tornado, ac- tornado activity was. But as this tornado went through, we could hear it even though it wasn't going to hit us. We didn't know that. But once I began to uh, understand where the tornado was, I knew that based on the track the storm was taking, it was moving away from us. And I was able to tell myself, it's going to be okay, it's going to be okay. And the lights are still on, we got the radio on, we got everything on. And uh, I, I wasn't even sure that it was a tornado. I just knew whatever that sound was, because it wasn't this big freight train you hear the redneck on TV drunk in his T-shirt talking about the trailer park. It wasn't that loud. Uh, I guess because it was a smaller tornado, I guess because it was going away. My wife drove through this storm and basically around the tornado, but we won't tell that story today. But on the radio came that they had a confirmed tornado touchdown, and they named an intersection of Collins and I-20. 
And right there is a great big power station. I knew that was the substation that fed our house. My son was eight or nine years old, maybe maybe ten at the time. And uh, I guess he was ten years old at the time. And he had seen Twister, and he was always scared of the tornadoes. And he was crying, and he said, I always knew this was going to happen. And I got down on one knee in front of him. I said, it's going to be okay. It's going away from us. He was worried about his mom, which he was smart to be worried about her. Again, we'll let that go. But I just said to him, I looked him right in the eye, and he said, don't get scared. The lights are about to go off right now. Because I knew that power station was getting hit. And it did. And, I mean, it was a quarter second from the time I finished it that the lights went out. You'd think he would have freaked out. He didn't freak out. He completely calmed down. He completely trusted that I knew what I was doing and I was going to keep him safe. And we went on from there, and, and, and we really didn't know how bad the damage was until the next, uh, actually about later in the week, when the police stopped cordoning off the area to make sure nobody looted the passes that were damaged, and we were able to drive by. But that's how being in control and being logical and having a plan and knowing what's going on can calm somebody in even a very frightening situation. That's why all this documentation and all this procedure is so important here. You may never have to enact this procedure. You may never have to leave. But I promise you if you have to go, I promise you if you have to go, People are going to be upset, worried, and panicked. There's going to have to be something pretty wrong to make you have to do this. It's not going to be like loading up and heading down to the state park for a week-long camping trip. Even if everything, even if you've run that as a drill, right? You've done it before, and you ran it as a drill. Said, okay, we're pretending we have to get out of here. The stress is going to be different. The fear is going to be different. The concerns are going to be different. It will never be the same. I went on many alerts. And it was never the same when it was real. When it was real, it was totally different. Okay. So, again, I guess the next thing you need to really make sure that you have in your group, once this procedure is initiated, once it's agreed upon, we're going, is a group hierarchy. Uh, for civilian, you know, for military, it's called a chain of command. Uh, I think that maybe, especially in some marital relationships, people may have a problem with that terminology, and it may be better just to say it's a group leader. I don't care if it's mom or it's dad, but somebody has to be in control. And somebody has to be recognized in advance in this situation. I'm going to be in control. And I'm going to make the final call on these things. And when I say we're doing this, we're doing it. You have to have that. There is no room for argumentation. That does not mean that the other side may go, hey, look, we really need to look at this, and and you discuss it. It's important to make sure you're not making a mistake. But once all the information has been assimilated, someone has to put their foot down and make a decision. That should be planned. And it's not just the group leader. It's a group leader. It's one, two, three. If you have four kids... Right? And it's probably oldest to youngest. It goes all the way down until there's no one left. So that if somebody's not available, that someone else immediately steps in and fills that role. That is a very military concept, but it's why people stay alive on the battlefield. And this is survival we're talking about here. And this is serious. And in that situation, somebody has to stand up and say, this is what we're going to do. You know what, kids? Dad's not available right now. We can't get him by his means of communication. He should be going to Rally Point Alpha. That's where we're going. We have some time. Uh, He's going to be behind us because of where he's at. Let's start working on the long list and getting stuff together. I'll keep trying to get Dad, but you guys start loading things up. 
Right, and that's extended family. If they come into the mix, if they're part of your planning, brothers-in-law, sisters-in-law, there still has to be a hierarchy. And you have to recognize that. And, and defer to people with experience. All right? Defer to people with things like law enforcement experience, military experience. And don't make it gender-based and don't make it completely age-based. If I've got a 17-year-old Eagle Scout or a 31-year-old yuppie to trust in a survival situation, I'm probably trusting the Eagle Scout, even though he's 17. If I have a prior service U.S. Army medic female and some guy that's never done anything in his life other than push computer keys, I'm trusting the female. So defer to those experiences in your chain of command and encourage people in your family that are in the area that have experience to become part of this. They should actually be more open to it because they've seen the other side of things. They're more in touch with what can go wrong. My last thing I want to make sure that you include in your planning for getting out is animal planning. And what I mean by that is what you do with your pets. So this includes things like obviously food and water for your pets and uh, how they're going to be transported. If you have big dogs, just throwing them in the back seat when you're trying to uh, to bug out with a bunch of gear may not be an option. They're going to take up space. Account for the space they're going to take up. If they're going to be in kennels uh, or boxes or cages, whatever you want to call them, they're also going to take up space. If the person with the larger vehicle can't get back to the home, say you're a car and truck family, and the guy with the truck can't get home, all you've got is the car. How are you going to accommodate that? Most people won't leave dogs and cats behind. Maybe goldfish and you know turtles and snakes get left behind. But dogs and cats really tend to be part of the American family unit, so you need to plan for them. Here's an additional thing that I came up with kind of by accident. We have a black lab mix uh, named Blackie. Original name, I know, but my son was eight years old when he named him. And uh, Blackie was a chore to walk on a leash and get calmed down. He was always pulling no matter how much he did, and I can kind of control him. But as soon as he went out of my hands into my wife's hands or my son's hand, he was bulldogging his way through. And we did all the conventional things. And one day we were watching, uh, watching the show Dog Whisperer. They had a dog doing the same thing, and usually just sees or just grabs him and goes, look how easy it is, blah, blah, blah. And, you know, it's like, I've done that with him. It doesn't work. So do you have any? And then apparently this didn't, one didn't work for him. It drug him. So what he did, he said, this dog's a working dog. And a lab is a working dog, by the way, folks. And, uh, in fact, he's a lab Rottweiler mix is uh, what we believe one of his uh, 57 varieties is, is Rottweiler based on his chest and some other characteristics. And they're a working breed as well. What he did is he got a dog backpack, and he put some stuff in the backpack to give the dog some weight on his back and gave the dog a job, and this broke the dog pulling the leash so hard. The dog felt like he was doing something. He felt proud of himself. He felt employed, is the way Caesar uh, put it, who's the guy that does that show, and the dog behaved. So we went. It's that simple. We went out. We got Blackie a backpack. I actually loaded him up with some 30-06 boxes of 3006 ammunition because uh, we had it laying around. I just done some reloading, and it was heavy. So I put a box in each side of his pack, and uh, we took him out. And it took a little while to really kick in, but it worked. 
And then I looked at the bag and went, you know, there could be a couple packs of dog food in there and some water. So my point is, your dogs can have their own bug out bags. And if you get these dog backpacks, especially if you have larger dogs, they can carry some of their own gear should you end up on foot. Very, very important. If you have really a like a St. Bernard or something, could probably carry some gear for you as well. So I just thought I'd throw that in there at the end. So, again, I want to reemphasize how important it is to have a plan like this and to document it. And it might sound like a big job, but if you just start with the maps... Start with the maps and start with putting together communications lists. And just start asking questions. Where would we go? What if we couldn't go there? What if we couldn't go there? And what if we couldn't go there? So now I've got three destinations. Okay, how would we get there? What if that way was not available? What's the other way we would get there? And what's the other way we would get there? And do that two more times. And now you've got three routes with three evacuation plans. Go to Google Maps. Map out those ways. Print that out. Get them into a book and start putting dividers in between them, routes A, B, and C for plans 1, 2, and 3, however you want to name that. Here's a list of all the people's contact information that we need, and here is exactly how we would call each other. You're halfway there. The rest of it will start to fall into place for you, as long as you follow kind of the procedural list that I put together. So I guess the last thing to think about is you want to make sure that this book, since it has information in it, such as contact information, addresses, uh, evacuation plans, and things like that, is somewhat secured. So, you know, if it's in a vehicle, you may want to keep it in a trunk, under a seat, at least concealed. And it's not so much because when you're bugging out, somebody may use it to hunt you down if you're paranoid and you're all worried about OPSEC. And there's a lot to be said about op security, and we'll talk about that in a future show. There's a lot to be said for situational awareness. My bigger fear, though, is if you have addresses and things like that, especially things like remote locations in it, and somebody got their hands on it, uh, it would be a map to go steal from you. So you want to make sure you have some level of security. Some people will go as far as to create codes. And I, I see a value to that, but the value reward may be outweighed the ratio there. Because when you're panicked, that's just one more thing that somebody has to do is decode your freaking messages. Right? So, but what you, you know, a simple code may be you may give your bug out location a name like Rally Point Sulu. So that somebody looks at that and goes, the hell is Zulu, right? So you don't want to call it maybe the the remote house with a bunch of stuff, right? So that's a simple level of OPSEC. And uh, you may be able to, uh, to secure your book with some secondary level of security, which would mean some sort of a lockbox or something you keep in the vehicle. That's probably a good idea. Uh, in fact, you may want to look at getting something to secure that documentation in that's fireproof. And definitely in your home, you should have a couple fireboxes, and some of the things that belong in there is maybe a copy of all this documentation as well. So I hope that gets your head thinking about how you can make your plans on if you have to get out better. And how you can, you again, don't leave out the short distance evacs. The you know, National Guard has moved in and said everybody in this neighborhood has to get out for whatever reason. And you're going to Aunt Sue's. Just the procedure. How? Who do you call? Who calls you? What means of communication do you use? Where do you go? You know, that type of thing will just calm the situation down and make it better for everybody. From that point, do you go further? 
Does Aunt Sue have a bug out plan? Probably not. Maybe you should write one for, put together a set of documentation for these extended family members that you care about that won't be involved. If you put that book together and say, look, here's all I want you to do. Put this in your car, put this in your truck, just leave it there. You know, and if you ever need it, it'll be there. Don't worry about it. You know what? They'll probably start looking through it. If you say, I want you to read this, understand it, and memorize it, they'll be like, screw off. Leave me alone. But if you say, I just want you to put this in your car, don't even read it. Don't even worry about it. I know you don't, you're not into this stuff. But it'll make me feel better. And if nothing else, you'll have a phone list how to get to everybody. And if they start going through something well-organized like that, it might start to get them thinking, hey, I don't know. And you might actually win converts over that way. So that's yet another way to use this information. So I'm going to go ahead and wrap today's show up as I watch cops right now riding tickets to people for driving in the freaking HOV lane while I sit in traffic stacked up for over a mile. Nice job, Dallas. Finest. I'm glad you're protecting my interest. There's a crack house over there that maybe you guys should go uh, take a look at. Feared a little rant there at the end might just make it amusing. I want to throw out an invitation one more time. Uh, to the uh, the beta uh, of the Supporting Members Brigade. Supporting Members Brigade is a way that if you want to, you can support the show uh, by uh, spending $5 a month as a membership fee, and that will give you access to a private members area. This is not a forum. It's where there's going to be material that's available only to members. And once again, I need to state, because I don't want any hate emails, I'm never charging you for listening to the show. I will never charge you for access to my blog. I will never charge you for access to the forum. This is above and beyond everything we've done up till now. We're going to be doing a lot of video. My wife's excited about how much support there's been for this program. She's going to be taking video editing courses. We've just ordered a brand new camera. We're going to shoot some initial video this weekend, get it in that members area. Those videos are going to be for members only. I'm going to probably do a conference call once a month, starting next month. That's going to just be for members. That will be recorded, and it will be available as a podcast for everybody to listen to, but only members are going to have the time and number to call in, and I'm going to try to think of some other things to do additionally just for members. Now, the way I came up with the price of $5 a month is I do about five shows a week almost all the time, all right, and uh, there are uh, there are 20 shows a month, therefore, roughly, so at five bucks, your contribution is 25 cents a podcast, and I just ask you, if you felt like you got 25 cents uh, worth of value out of today's show, consider joining the brigade. Now, it's beta only. I'm only opening it initially to 100 members to make sure everything works right and get some stuff in there. The first 100 members get their name and a link to a website of their choice on what I call my foundational wall. Uh, So if you want... To get information about this, if you'd like to sign up, send me an email, jackofthesurvivalpodcast.com, and just tell me you'd like to uh, get more information and be able to sign up for the Supporting Members Brigade. There's 100 spots. I think as of this morning, 48 were taken. So there's 52 more. Now, look, this is not, you better do it now or it's all gone or any kind of nonsensical sales crap. Um, I will probably only close it for like a week or two, and then I'll reopen it uh, after that. It's just going to be to get people in there, get some video uploaded, get people Using the, you know, downloading video, uh, logging into their accounts, providing them tech support, and making sure everything's stable. And then I'll go ahead and open it back up. But if you want to be on the foundational wall, you got to be one of the first 100 members. Uh, so, again, if you'd like to support the show, uh, that's a way you can do it. And, uh, again, I'd like to thank everybody that's done it so far. And even if you never joined the Supporting Members Brigade, let me again thank you as I close up today uh, for listening to my show and for helping my show grow. Uh, there's about 4,000. 
2,000 downloads of the show every day now. And uh, over 3,000 uh, subscribers through the FeedBurner statistics alone. And that means so much to me. And my show has been grown by you, the audience, telling other members about it. So I really thank you for that. And I appreciate each and every one of you. And let me say one more time. You guys that send me emails and you tell me about your family and the difference the show has made in the lives of your family, it touches me right in my heart. It really does. And I get at least an email a day like that. And I... A lot of times I might respond to you and just be, thank you for telling me that. I appreciate it. Understand, I don't have time to write lengthy responses to everybody, but I read every one of those emails. And I save those emails like that, and we put them away, and occasionally we, I just sit down and I just start reading through them. And it means a tremendous amount to me. It's what's made this show so rewarding, and it's why I'm trying to turn it into more of uh, at least a part-time, full-time occupation where I can spend more time on the show. Uh, so just I want to thank you, my audience, so much for everything that all of you have done for me, from just telling me that the show matters uh, to sharing it with other people and to those that have uh, taken the first step of uh, joining the uh, Supporting Members Brigade. And I'm going to try to make that plan a real winner. Uh, this has been Jack Spierko with another edition of the Survival Podcast, helping you figure out how to live that better life if times get tough, or even if they don't. You can scream. You can holler, it really doesn't matter, cause it all gets spent.